Hi there, everyone. Welcome to the Honduras Now podcast. I'm your host, Karen Spring. I'm a human rights activist and the Honduras-based coordinator for the Honduras Solidarity Network, or the HSN. And Honduras Now is a podcast that shares human rights stories, connecting them with global issues and North American policy. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, I want to put the 2009 coup discussed in Episode 1 into context. It's now 11 years later, and like all countries around the world, Honduras is responding to another crisis, the crisis generated by the COVID-19 pandemic. This crisis doesn't have the same impact in a country like Honduras, where conditions were already extremely dire after facing nonstop crises over the last 11 years and since the coup, a coup backed and supported by the Canadian and U.S. governments. If the coup represents the beginning of a series of crises in Honduras and North American governments supported it, I would say those governments are at least partially responsible for the conditions that it created, especially if our governments have stood next to the Honduran government, legitimizing it, politically supporting it, and its policies that have made the conditions in Honduras almost unbearable to live in. As I spoke to people around the country about the 11th anniversary of the coup, they reflect and consider it in the current context in Honduras. Across the country, Hondurans are mostly in their homes, with the exception of workers in some industries, since the government declared a state of siege, or a permanent mandatory lockdown, in response to the spread of COVID-19. It's interesting because 11 years ago today, and in the aftermath of the 2009 coup and the protests that followed, a series of state of sieges were ordered around Honduras. And now, 11 years later, on the anniversary of the coup, Hondurans are again locked down. Since the state of siege began, all transportation, with a few rare exceptions, has been suspended. Hondurans can now only leave their houses to go to the bank, supermarkets, or pharmacies once every two weeks. The attempt to reopen the economy as COVID infection rates continued to increase only led the government shutting it down less than a week later, around the time that the number of COVID-19 cases exceeded 10,000 or so. Just like after the 2009 coup, the COVID-19 state of siege has led to another wave of militarization in the country. Since March, tens of thousands of people have been detained temporarily, particularly when protests break out as so many people and communities demand support from the government, saying that if they can't work, they can't eat, and staying in their homes is not an option. In response to the pandemic, the U.S. government, Canadian government, and the international financial institutions, like the World Bank and others, have given or have loaned money to the Honduran government, millions of dollars, in fact. The financial assistance and loans is allegedly to help the government respond to the pandemic, supply and equip the hospitals, provide support to the population, and implement public health measures to contain the virus, to soften the economic impact as well. Since the coup, the legitimacy of the Honduran government has greatly deteriorated. 
violated. This means that Hondurans have very little trust and faith in the government to provide them with the support needed to confront yet another crisis like the pandemic has generated. The international support given to Honduras that I just mentioned to confront the virus has been the subject of several huge corruption scandals. Millions of dollars have seemed to have just disappeared. Healthcare workers complain that hospitals are not even close to receiving the supplies. They need to handle the crisis. And they were saying this when there were only a few cases of COVID-19 in the country and that the healthcare system had collapsed even before there were COVID cases reported. So Hondurans will remember the 11th anniversary of a major crisis in the country while being immersed in another. Yet both are connected. In fact, the coup kicked off the conditions of deterioration that Hondurans have experienced for years. And now with the virus and the pandemic are seeing it in the complete collapsed hospital and clinics around the country and also in the social and economic conditions in which Hondurans are living. To talk about the 11th anniversary of the coup and what it means 11 years later, I spoke with a few people. First, I spoke with Carlos Humberto Reyes and then Bertita Zuniga Cáceres, the general coordinator of the Civic Council of Popular and Indigenous Organizations of Honduras, or COPIN. Bertita is also the daughter of Indigenous activist Berta Cáceres. I'll start with my conversation with Carlos Sache Reyes, and then I'll introduce Bertita. Carlos is the president of a union that represents workers that bottle soft drinks and beer for transnational companies like Saab Miller and Pepsi-Cola. The union's name is Stebies. He's a well-respected union leader and social movement leader around the country, helping to found the Convergence Against Re-Election and the National Front of Popular Resistance that was formed after the coup, as I mentioned in episode one. In fact, Carlos was nominated by the social movement to participate as an independent presidential candidate in 2009. But then the coup happened, and he, like many others, refused to participate in the illegitimate elections that followed shortly after the coup. I started by asking Carlos Sache Reyes, why is the coup so important and relevant to understanding the current context of the country? He responded by telling me the moment in which the coup happened and what was going on in the country. A los gobiernos se les permite llegar hasta donde no se... Central American governments are allowed to do what they want as long as the security of the United States and the interests of regional oligarchies are not jeopardized. The coup d'etat was planned and carried out when A. The neoliberal model is in crisis. It is not being deepened as it corresponded to the mandates of the International Monetary Fund. Instead, the investment of the neoliberal model was suffering stagnations and setbacks on the part of the Manuel Zelaya government. B. Manuel Zelaya's government is facing a serious confrontation with the enduring oligarchy for not obeying their mandates, for not continuing with the privatization of public services and common goods, for decreeing a high minimum wage, for issuing a decree to deliver land to small farmers, for deciding to make an airport at the Gringo U.S. military base in Palmerola, and for applying a formula to calculate the price of fuel that was not convenient for the transnational companies. C. Honduras is joining ALBA, the Bolivarian Alliance for the Peoples of Our America, for Zelaya having brought Evo Morales from Bolivia and Hugo Chavez from Venezuela to an event in Tegucigalpa, for advancing towards Petrocaribe and the regional integration processes that the U.S. empire has opposed since the existence of the Monroe Doctrine of America for the Americans. ND, as the correlation of forces of the gringo or U.S. empire is diminished in the Central American area due to the presence of the Sandinista Front ruling in Nicaragua, the Farabundo Martí Front in El Salvador, and the Manuel Zelaya government in Honduras, highly influenced by the popular movement like the National Coordinator of Popular Resistance, which I headed, and the progressive currents of the Liberal Party. 
So given all of these conditions, Carlos describes what the coup intended to achieve. In ese marco histórico y coyuntural, se da el golpe de Estado. In this historical conjunctural framework, the coup d'etat takes place to reestablish the empire, the security policy of the United States, and the interests of the national and Central American oligarchy, to deepen the neoliberal model, to ratify Honduras as a policing agent of the United States in the region, and to whitewash the coup with Honduras-style elections, and to ensure the maintenance of regimes in favor of those policies. So as of today, it's been 11 years since the coup d'etat, and there's a global pandemic impacting the world, some countries more than others, not just because of the number of COVID infection cases, but also because of the economic, social, and political conditions in various countries, and that differ between countries, especially in countries in the so-called global south. The impacts of the pandemic are not felt equally, and Honduras, in 11 years, has not recovered from the coup, especially since the U.S. and Canadian governments have continued to prop up governments that implement policies that drive Hondurans further into poverty and desperation. So in 11 years, the coup has plunged Honduras deeper and deeper into a crisis, which has left Honduras and Hondurans even less able to confront the crisis generated by the COVID pandemic. I asked Carlos Achigreas about this. Now that Honduras is in the middle of the pandemic, what is the current context in the country and how does it relate to the effects of the 2009 coup 11 years later. El capitalismo y su modelo neoliberal siguen en crisis y con el COVID-19... Capitalism and the neoliberal model continues in crisis. And with COVID-19, the health crisis has deepened even more because the market cannot resolve the crisis. It's up to the state to resolve it. But in the case of Honduras, where there is a corrupt dictator associated with drug trafficking, the state can't because the creditors have the government on its knees and they have to borrow more money. So the pandemic is a political problem that the dictatorship cannot resolve and it must sustain its survival. So the regime and the owners of the country take it out on the working class. And from there, the liberal massacre that we are living. The deepening of the neoliberal model brought on by the 2009 coup d'etat has brought with it more exploitation, more plunder, more corruption, more drug trafficking, more social inequality, more human rights violations. And as a result, the deepening of class contradictions. Honduras is a hard country to support, to live in, and to be a union leader, journalist, or human rights defender. I admire Carlos so much because of how long and how consistent he has been in the social movement in Honduras. He was 14 years old during one of the largest labor strikes in the history of Honduras, the 1954 banana strike, and involved in it. In all of his years in the social movement and as a labor leader, Carlos has been arrested, tortured, and during the protests after after the 2009 coup, he was badly beaten by Honduran police. But he's still going strong, even after 79 years. He's an inspiration to me and also many Hondurans. If you walk with Carlos in public anywhere in the country, people come up to him to shake his hand and to chat with him. He's well-respected and admired. He's also so busy because of how workers inside soft drink and beer bottling plants around the country are being treated. Since he's the leader of the Stevie's Union, he has to respond to all the changing and worsening conditions that workers are experiencing inside the factories where they don't have proper biosecurity protections now with the pandemic and are being laid off if they don't want to risk their health or cannot get to work because of the checkpoints set up around the country as a result of the lockdown. So the pandemic has generated lots of work for union leaders and Carlos has been traveling between the two major cities in Honduras, Tegucigalpa and San Pedro Sula to respond to workers' needs and demands. It took me five to six days to be able to speak with Carlos because 
because of how busy he is these days. He had just returned to Tegucigalpa from San Pedro Sula, which is approximately four hours along a major highway driving north from the capital city. I asked him what it was like traveling on the roads, given the lockdown, the militarization, the protests, and the checkpoints on the roads, just to get a sense of the police and military presence. We spoke exactly one week ago on Sunday, June 21st, and this is what he told me. The day we traveled to San Pedro and the day we came back, no one asked us for our documents justifying our presence on the streets. Nothing. There were a few military and police. But, for example, today, the police and military were in the north and southern exit of San Pedro Sula because various groups in the country are blocking the roads precisely to demand a government bonus or demanding that the government let them work. And the military and the police started tear-gassing them and attacking protesters because the government doesn't have money to give them. The doctors, too, were protesting, demanding support, because five doctors have recently died in San Pedro Sula, and there are 15 with the virus. Like in San Pedro Sula and Tegucigalpa, the conditions are also difficult in the small city of La Esperanza, in western Honduras, where Copín is based. After speaking with Carlos, I spoke with Bertita Zuniga Cáceres, the general coordinator of Copín, and the daughter of Berta Cáceres, about her thoughts on the anniversary of the coup and the current context in Honduras. Now, Bertita has a different perspective of the coup than Carlos does. Bertita was only 18 years old when the coup happened. I remember meeting her in the streets in Tegucigalpa, in all the protests after the coup, the countless hours of walking in the marches under the hot sun. She was with her mom, Berta, who played such a fundamental role in the formation and analysis of the National Front of Popular Resistance, along with Carlos and other leaders. If Bertita wasn't Berta's daughter, already born with resistance in her blood, she, like so many other young people in Honduras, would be called a child of the resistance. The youth or children of the resistance are now adults involved in the social movement, but that witnessed and saw the coup, were impacted by it, and grew up committed to social struggle. There are so many of these types of young people in Honduras. I started by asking Bertita what the coup means to her 11 years later, and now in the context of the pandemic. Well, the coup d'etat for us is the initial source of the current harsh situation that Honduras is in. The coup is known even internationally for reasons behind the worsening of economic conditions and widespread violence, impunity, forced migration, and for the circumstances that were formed as a result of the coup. We believe the coup had to do with the reshaping of the control of public property and resources, the control of strategic resources in our country, which have had a very important impact on the indigenous and Garifuna peoples in Honduras. As we say, it is an economic model that uses energy, public goods, and exploitation of natural resources for the enrichment of the small group of national oligarchy. And that is achieved through force, which is a strategic and essential component of the model. The coup d'etat was the military component of fear, social mobilization, and human rights violations. In all of Honduran society, and particularly us, this affects us, the Lanka people, the indigenous peoples. This threatens us as a result of the exploitation. Also for us, the coup has also meant the maximum expression of violence against people by threatening and taking away life and their lives, which is the primary right of human beings. And that was the case of our comrade Berta Caceres, who was assassinated after the reformation of these economic, political, and military powers around this impunity that continues to hide the truth from us. 
Berta was a deliberate part of the social movement that struggled to re-found Honduras to construct an inclusive, multi-ethnic, multilingual democracy, one with human rights. What we are experiencing in this pandemic affects the world and our country is to suffer one of the expressions of the coup, the reformation of powers, which is corruption. There are public officials involved in corruption that have gone unpunished for many years, who have committed various crimes and have never been brought to justice. So they have total freedom to do whatever they want. They have indebted our country with the international financial institutions and have allocated public funds to supposedly face this pandemic. However, it's not reaching the places in need and there is evidence of the theft from the people and of the deepening of the accumulated social problems in the country. For example, the issue of impoverishment, food shortages and the control of the streets in the hands of the military, the loss of constitutional guarantees and rights and exposing ourselves to live under so many violations. It is difficult to speak of these 11 years of coup d'etat. So much has happened. In some ways, the social movements that have been in the struggle since the coup and before feel the weight of defeat. There are also many problems. Since the coup, we have almost had to lock ourselves up to try and sustain our work or defend our territories. And that has also produced a process of disarticulation of many of the spaces of struggle and organizing. We believe that the, this pandemic is the same. The pandemic has created a type of social explosion of questioning the current government and also an opportunity to think urgently about building a different country. That was Bertita Zuniga Casares, based in western Honduras in the small city of La Esperanza. I like what Bertita says at the end there, that the pandemic gives us an opportunity to think urgently about building a different country. In fact, in the three and a half months since the pandemic and state of siege began in Honduras, Honduran organizations and movements have been meeting, brainstorming, calling for creative actions from their homes and on Zoom, of course, and have published 15 communiques with their proposals about how to build a different Honduras. Now, building a different Honduras also means we have something to do in North America. We need to be building a different U.S. and Canadian foreign policy. And that's our job. Let's not go back to normal, as so many people are saying about the pandemic. And as Carlos and Bertita have explained, normal in Honduras has meant supporting military coups that have ushered in policies that have driven Hondurans out of their country to the U.S.-Mexico border, it's meant the murder of activists like Berta Cáceres and policies that strip rights from workers and drive the poor majority further into poverty in Honduras. If the coup did anything in Honduras, it helped expose the unjust, undemocratic foreign policy that the Canadian and U.S. governments maintain in Latin America. Bertita is right about urgently thinking about building something different. Eleven years later, and in the middle of the COVID crisis, it is an excellent time to start constructing something new. Now, before I sign off, I wanted to mention that there are many events in Honduras to commemorate the 11th anniversary of the coup. There are radio programs, poetry readings, online of course, discussion forums, and protests in person, obviously respecting social distance. In my last two episodes, I've used the music of Honduran singer Carla Lara. Carla is also hosting an online concert on YouTube on July 3rd and 4th. The YouTube channel is called Un Compa Que Compañas, which I will link to in my show notes on my website, HondurasNow.org. I definitely encourage people to check out that concert. 
Carla has an incredible ability to cheer me up. She's got such a beautiful voice. For more information and for the show notes, check out HondurasNow.org, where I will post them as soon as possible. You can also sign up for the listserv at HondurasNow.org to get the episodes of this podcast into your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Please get in touch with ideas, suggestions, anything. I would really love to hear from you. This is your host, Karen, signing off for now. Until next time, thanks so much. Con sus ondas bravigas escuda, de un volcán tras la cima de su